Hello and welcome back once again to Viper Bites as we continue with our training camp preview series. And this time we are going to stop in the NFC East. But before we get to the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington Commanders, the Philadelphia Eagles, and yes, the New York Football Giants, take a second, rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And if you're watching us on the Vipers Network on YouTube, make sure to take a second, like us, subscribe to us, do all that good stuff so we can continue to put out some of the best content out there today. And without further ado, hey, one more thing. <laughs> Let's back this up. Fantasypoints.com. Head over there today. Use promo code VIPERS22 and get 10% off your subscription today. Now, let's dive into this preview here. The Dallas Cowboys. Dallas won the NFC East last year thanks to sporting the most prolific offense in the league with 6,919 yards total. The Cowboys edged out the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for that distinction and ranked third best in yards per play 6.0 behind only the Bucks and the 49ers who both posted 6.1 per play. Now, while most of the offense looks the same, there have been several changes who have kind of forced players into new roles, new homes throughout the league. But can this offense still be one of the best despite the loss of Cedric Wilson, Amari Cooper? Well, let's talk about this here. It all starts with Dak Prescott. This offense is stirred by Dak. Remember the start of the 2022 season? Prescott has now been two years removed from a serious injury that kind of hampered him there back in 2020. Prescott, hey, look, he was responsible for nearly 4,500 passing yards while completing 68.8% of his passes on 410 completions, 37 of those resulting in touchdown. With another offseason to get himself right, there's some that believe that he could return to that 2020 form. And in that 2020 season, before the injuries, 1,650 yards, nine touchdowns in the first four games. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to get back there, but I mean, that's something you certainly expect from Dak Prescott now that he is 100% healthy and recovered from that injury. Now, behind Prescott, it's not appealing. It's actually kind of repulsive, but hey, we are left once again with Cooper Rush, Will Greer, Benaducci there. For what it's worth, Cooper Rush, he did see some action last year. He threw for 422 yards on 30 of 47 passing. Dallas is likely to carry just two quarterbacks on game day. Well, hey, they're going to look to try and stash either Will Greer and Benaducci on their practice squads. Now, talk about the running back position here. Ezekiel Elliott, while battling through some nagging injuries last year, he still managed 4.2 yards per carry and produced 1,002 rushing yards by the season's end. That said, yeah, the yards that kind of put him over the 1,000 was a game against the Eagles there where the Eagles were basically playing third and fourth stringers. But hey, nonetheless, 1,000-yard rushing season in the books for Ezekiel Elliott. One knock on Elliott was yards after contact, which was among the worst of the running backs, averaging 2.7 last season. Elliott and Tony Pollard combined for 1,700 yards on the ground and 600 more in the passing game. It's easy to spot the two top backs in Dallas. Questions are, Pollard closed that gap on Elliott this season. Elliott received 237 cal uh, carries there to Pollard's only 130 on the ground, but it's hard to dismiss Pollard's playmaking abilities both on the ground where he averaged 5.5 yards per carry, and in the passing game where he averaged 8.2 yards per reception. Prescott, he was the third leading rusher in 2021 for the Dallas Cowboys team, and while I don't see that changing, Corley, Corey Clement's vacancy opens the door for either Jacon Hardy there or Rico Dowdle to create an opportunity for themselves. I do think if we look close at both these backs, we can see that Hardy may be better suited for that Tony Pollard type relief, while Dowdle, 
He could do the same for Ezekiel Elliott, but make no mistake about it. When one of these backs goes down, whether it's Elliott or Pollard, the other is the one who's going to get the lion's share of the touches here for the Dallas Cowboys. At wide receiver, I mentioned Amari Cooper and Cedric Wilson. They are gone. So who else is still left? Both CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gelp, they remain here in Dallas. Will Lamb be able to take that next step in fantasy? That is a question to be seen. Keep an eye early on during camp to see if Lamb receives the line share of the targets, or if Gallup ends up nearly getting all of Cooper's vacated targets. So that's going to be the key here. Who's going to get Cooper's vacated targets? Is it going to be Dalton Schultz, who we'll talk about here in a little bit, Michael Gallup, or will CeeDee Lamb see an increase, which could be hey, big news for fantasy, especially if you're taking CeeDee Lamb here in the first couple of rounds of those fantasy drafts. Now let's not forget the battle for the wide receiver role, which in this offense, it can be productive. Last season, while playing in just nine games, Michael Gallup, he averaged 10.2 fantasy points per game, playing behind both Lamb and Cooper. In other words, either James Washington or Jalen Tolbert will play a significant role this season. Washington, he has the experience. He's the guy that can stretch the field and who some believe has a better release and a better set of hands. Now, early in camp, I would expect the veteran Washington to basically be penciled in as that third option ahead of Jalen Tolbert as he needs a little extra time to recover from an injury of his own. Now, Tolbert, he is no slouch when it comes to the deep ball. Outside of Jameson Williams, now the Detroit Lions, Tolbert led all draft-eligible receivers in receiving yards, 602 on deep targets. I do wonder why not more teams have shown interest in Washington while he was a free agent, which leads me to believe that Tolbert will supplant him at some point this season. Moving along. To the tight end position for the Dallas Cowboys, it's Dalton Schultz or bust here, right? Coming off a season which he caught 78 passes on 104 targets, 808 yards. While I want to believe Schultz, I want to believe him. We have seen this play out back in the Blake Jarwin days, and I just I just can't get behind Dalton Schultz this season. I get a tight end five, tight end six is kind of where he's being drafted. For me, I can't get behind that. I'm sorry. Now gone, we get it. Blake Jarwin, he's gone. Injuries did him no favors. Now the role of that backup tight end. Now that's where it gets interesting. Jake Ferguson, Jeremy Sprinkle, Sean McKeon. With Ferguson, though, you have a tight end that could not making Schultz expendable at the season's end. Especially considering Schultz is dealing with some of those contract situations there leading up to camp. Ferguson, he is solid in the passing game. He can go out, he can run routes, he can catch passes. But his advantage comes as a blocker where he's already better than Schultz in both passing and run block kind of games now this defense who doesn't love themselves a friendly competition demarcus lawrence the savvy veteran there he is making a stake to claim that he will once again lead this dallas cowboys team in sacks however last year's sack leader michael parsons is not so fast he is not ready to give up that crown so you are going to have a race from the edges coming from parsons and coming from demarcus lawrence and that can't be a bad thing considering the dallas cowboys they lost randy gregory to the denver broncos this offseason now, keep an eye on what Parsons does. Does he take a majority of his reps in camp at the defensive end position or at the linebacker position? Because that goes a huge thing here when we're talking about Jabril Cox. If we see Micah Parsons line up at the defensive end, line up at edge, that means Jabril Cox could have a bigger role in this Dallas defense here, especially for those IDP players. Now, conversely, Dante Fowler is there as insurance i guess but i would not be surprised if he has an unimpressive camp if fowler finds himself on the way out in big d now let's talk about the new york football giants if you are into fantasy then this giants offense may pique your interest in 2022 after being hit time and time again by the injury bug and finishing with a 4 and 13 record 
Daniel Jones and the Giants looked to rebound in a big way. New York was one of the most affected teams by injuries, having more games missed to injury than any other team last season. Now, at quarterback, New York did not ex exercise their option on Daniel Jones and that fifth-year option. Not exactly a vote of confidence. With a projected starter, strong quarterback class on its way next year, now is the time for Jones. As far as the schedules are concerned there, the schedule, it sets up quite nicely for Jones to have success, not to mention these other offensive pieces here, especially in fantasy. If he doesn't perform, he's gone. It's that simple. Good news for Jones. Right now, several Giants who missed time will be entering camp fully healthy and ready to go. At least I think so, because they're already kind of uh, dealing with a little bit of nick up there from the OTAs. Now, should Jones struggle? The Giants went out and added themselves a dependable veteran in Tyrod Taylor. Taylor can stay healthy. He could help mentor and push Jones, unlike the threat of Mike Glennon in 2021. Or perhaps Taylor's is becoming this generation's Steve DeBerg. Now, I don't expect anyone to really catch on to that reference, but those who know, they know. Now, as far as the running back position, New York's leading rusher from a season ago is still a free agent. Yes, I'm talking about Devontae Booker, not Saquon Barkley. So if ever there's a time for Saquon Barkley revival, this is it. Have you seen him without his shirt on, man? The dude is Jack. He is ready for a big season. Behind Barkley, you have the likes of Gary Brightwell, one attempt, four yards in 2021. Matt Breida, 26 carries, 125 yards. One touchdown with Buffalo. Deshaun Corbin, Antonio Williams. That battle for the second spot on the depth chart is wide open, especially with new coach Brian Dabble. If you can land that number two spot, you could have a path to significant reps in fantasy here down the road. Early on, I figured Matt Brito, he'd have a bit of an advantage coming over from Buffalo with uh, the Dable system and understanding exactly what Dable is looking for in this offense. Uh, Deshaun Corbin is a name to watch here, though. With a good blend of speed and size, Corbin has shown the ability to carry defenders with him on his way to the end zone. Check out that East-West Shrine game there. Along with that physicality, Corbin has shown the ability to run a variety of routes at Florida State while also chipping in on special teams there, returning some kicks. Here, when we talk about the New York Giants, we have to talk about this wide receiver core. It's good. I mean, on paper, they are good. Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton, Kadarius Toney, these are all great names on paper. Unfortunately, they all found themselves on a different type of paper last year, and that was the injury report time and time again, all missing time last season because of injury. Throughout training camp, it will be interesting to see which receivers avoid any major injuries or those soft tissue type injuries that could linger into the regular season. Now, fun fact, or not if you're a Giants fan, Galladay was the only receiver to be targeted seven or more times in the red zone last year, nine by the way, and not come away with a touchdown. Further to that futility, only 57.9% of Galladay's targets were deemed catchable last season. All four of these Giants receivers averaged 10.2 yards per reception, so we know that this offense can be explosive if it can stay healthy. Right now, you have to expect Galladay and Tony to line up on the outside with Shepard primarily filling the role inside, but don't be surprised to see Tony slide in there from time to time as well. Now, what I'm looking forward to here in camp is what Dable is going to do to get the ball into Wandell Robinson's hands. We saw him at Nebraska. We saw him at Kentucky. Wandell Robinson is a one-man offense. He can do everything. Jack of all trades, master of none, at least not yet. Now, he may be the most explosive wide receiver in this Giants receiver room right now, so it's going to be interesting. And if any of these guys 
miss any time. Robinson is going to slide into that role, and he is not going to relinquish it at any time. Now, at the tight end position, Evan Ingram is gone. uh, Addition through subtraction for Giants fans, I'm sure. So how will the Giants cope with the loss of 408 receiving yards, three touchdowns, 48 receptions? Okay, sarcasm aside, we talked about the four good receivers, right? that the Giants already have, and the versatility of three of them to play inside that slot. So it's going to be interesting, Cap, to see how often the Giants go without even a tight end on the field. Let's be honest. I mean, you've got Saquon Barkley who can catch the ball out of the backfield. You've got uh, four solid wide receivers, five if you count Wandell Robinson. At least three of them have to be healthy at any given time, you would hope. But if the event you have to have a tight end out there, Ricky Seals-Jones, he's coming back there. you got rookie Daniel Ballinger. He has some offensive upside, but outside of that, I don't expect much production as far as fantasy is concerned to come out of this tight end position here in New York. Now, as far as this defense is going, hey, this New York defense, they allowed 24.5 points per game last year, which had them in the bottom 10 of the league while allowing 200, or, sorry, allowing 354.8 yards per contest. There were times last year where this Giants defense looked good, but most of the time, not so much. Even with the loss of James Bradbury, who was released and then signed by the Philadelphia Eagles, there's plenty of talent to keep an eye on. Top five pick, Kayvon Thibodeau. He will be joining Aziz Ojolari there to give the Giants much-needed edge presence with Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence being able to hold things down up front. And, of course, we know Blake Martinez. He's a staple for IDPers in the middle, especially of this Giants defense, which teams have been able to run on, which means lots of tackles for Blake Martinez. For the Philadelphia Eagles on draft day, the city of brotherly love had the plenty to celebrate as they decided that, hey, drafting receivers historically has not worked out for us. So how about we just trade for one right now that we know is going to be good? Here we are, A.J. Brown joining the Eagles alongside Devontae Smith shows a change in philosophy in this Eagles offense. Last season, the Eagles decided to run the ball and they run the ball plenty. Let's be honest here leading the NFL in rushing yards with 2,715. However, all that success on the ground was only good enough for nine wins. Down the stretch, when we look at things down the stretch, this Eagles offense was efficient, scoring on 47.6% of their possessions. Only Kansas City, New England, Green Bay, the Los Angeles Chargers, and the Cincinnati Bengals were better. Why? Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Yes, I'm telling you this right now. Jalen Hurts is a QB1, not only in fantasy, but in the National Football League. There are not 12 quarterbacks better than Jalen Hurts right now. Jalen Hurts will be given every opportunity to prove that he is the quarterback of the Eagles' present and of their future. Hurts threw for 3,144 yards despite targeting players such as Quez Watkins, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward as his secondary options in that passing game. With the addition of A.J. Brown, I expect those numbers to increase, that efficiency to increase, while the attempts on the ground, particularly, decrease as far as Hurts is concerned. Now, look, it's great to see the Eagles support this young quarterback here, right? Over the last couple seasons, I mentioned these guys already. Sure, Devontae Smith, he's there. He he looks great from what we've seen. Quez Watkins, Jalen Rager, Greg Ward, Travis Fulgham, J.J. White say Deontay Burnett, Half an now, Elshon Jeffrey, an aging Deshaun Watson, and one John Howie Tower have not got the job done for Hurts or for this Eagles passing tack. Let's focus now on the run game. Is it me, or do the Eagles just hate Miles Sanders? Sanders, when given an opportunity and the ball, he has produced. Look at last season. 
137 uh, attempts there. He averaged 5.5 yards per carry and finished with 754 yards on the ground and another 158 yards in the passing game. Sanders became one of just 17 running backs to have at least 125 carries in a season and score zero touchdowns since 2000. Yes, thank you, Graham Barfield, and that stat pack for that piece of information. Yet when you look at everything here, he still lost touches to Jordan Howard. Production was there, but yet you're giving away opportunities to a guy that came off the street in Jordan Howard, who basically is like, hey, you know what? I can carry the ball. And you know what? He did. 4.7 yards per carry on 87 touches. Throwing a little bit of Boston Scott, who'd go on to rush for seven touchdowns on 87 uh, regular season carries. And this is a mess for the Eagles here. And a mess if you're a Miles Sanders guy. But the opportunity for Sanders is going to present itself. With Jordan Howard now out of the picture, It'll be interesting if Kenneth Gainwell can cut into Sanders' workload, especially considering he let all backs with 33 receptions on 50 targets for 253 yards in Philadelphia. We can expect Boston Scott to receive the same kind of workload as a runner, as a patch catcher in 22. But where does Kennedy Brooks factor into this whole equation? Because talent-wise, Kennedy Brooks is an interesting prospect. His combine likely didn't do him any favors, showing a lack of explosiveness with some poor testing scores. His college career is also a little questionable from putting up 1,000 yards as a sophomore, 6.5 yards per carry. He was then under investigation for some off-field allegations there before sitting out a season due to COVID, before then returning and averaging 6.3 yards per carry and rushing for another 1,253 yards. If Brooks can stay in the good graces, he is certainly gifted enough to push for some Jordan Howard-type touches in Philadelphia. Now, wide receiver, some are calling this is an opportunity for two 1,000-yard receivers in Philadelphia this season. I say pump those brakes. Philadelphia, they're still going to look to run the ball. They are transitioning, not abandoning the run. Last season, Devonta Smith, 104 targets, managed to haul in just 64 of those for 916 yards. While the expectation is Hurts passing improves, I can also see the Eagles having only one 1,000-yard receiver, so pick and choose here. Maybe none. I don't know. It's also very possible that Hurts he can support two top 24 fantasy receivers, but we will need to watch in camp what kind of a commitment that the Eagles put towards the passing game. Brown and Corey Davis with the Titans a couple seasons back almost had two 1,000-yard receivers in a heavy run offense, much like we're going to see in Philadelphia. And it all came down to Ryan Tannehill's efficiency and how he was able to distribute the ball effectively, which when teams are focused on the run, which most teams will be when they're fit playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts is going to have to be efficient, and if he can maintain that efficiency, there's an opportunity for both Brown and Devontae Smith to have 1,000-yard type mm -hmm. seasons here. Quez Watkins will likely play the third fiddle among the receiver group here with Greg Ward, newly signed Zach Paschal, factoring in from time to time. It's also a certainty that Jalen Rager will be cut, released, ahead of training camp. Others in this camp include John Hightower, Deion Kane, uh, Devin Allen, Britton Covey, Kendrick Wetfeld, and, of course, uh, Josh Hammond. A tight end, Philadelphia, they moved on from Zach Ertz. The Zach Ertz days are done. He went to Arizona last season, making room for Dallas Goddard to command more of a target share moving forward. And then the Eagles went out and got A.J. Brown, which could totally reverse everything that they did by moving on from Zach Ertz. Now, behind Goddard, there's an open competition between rookie Grant uh, Calcaterra there and the quarterback convert there, Tyree Jackson, that, man, if injury, if he didn't have any, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all, especially when it comes to injuries. Now, when we move along to this defense here, Philadelphia's defense ranked 11th in passing yards allowed and 9th in rushing yards allowed in 2021. One has to like what the Eagles have done on defense this offseason. 
They went out in the trenches. They worked on that. Jordan Davis out of Georgia will be there to kind of filter in with Fletcher Cox, Jevin Hargrave while rotating in along that front. They also went out and they got James Bradbury to help solidify that secondary opposite of Darius Slay. So linebacker, it's going to get interesting. They went out there. They added some pretty talented players there in Nicobe Dean, who looks to replace TJ Edwards. That's a battle you're going to want to watch in camp there. They also added Hassan Reddick and Kazir White to that linebacking core. Put Nicobe Dean in there. This is a very athletic group. Now, the next team up we're going to look at here right now is that Washington Commanders team. Despite everything that happened in 2021, the Washington football team still managed to string together seven victories. They they will be looking to score more in 2022 as what their net points allowed from last year, outscored by 99. Can Carson Wentz help in accomplishing this? Well, we don't know yet. Now, Washington will also be looking to take care of business at home. Three and five last year, two and four in their own division in order to keep their wildcard hopes alive in January. And right now, everyone has a chance at the playoffs, some more realistic than others. Talk about Carson Wentz. If your answer to improving a 21st-ranked passing offense is Carson Wentz, well, I don't know what to tell you, but you certainly don't get a prize, let's be honest. That all being said, Wentz, Let's give him a little bit of due here. 27 touchdowns to only seven interceptions while with the Colts. 3,563 passing yards in Indianapolis. Wentz only had one pass catcher who finished with more than 400 yards, and that was Michael Pittman, who had 88 receptions for 1,082. Now, Ty Hilton, T.Y. Hilton, whatever you want to call him, he missed a lot of time there. There was Paris Campbell, obviously missed time there in Indianapolis as well. So Carson Wentz did not really have much more to work with than Michael Pittman and Jonathan Taylor, but hey, there's a lot of quarterbacks that would take that combination any day of the week. Now, behind Wentz, the pecking order is pretty clear. You got Tyler Heineke there, and you've got Sam Howell rounding up this quarterback room. We know what Heineke is more than capable of running this commander's offense. He did it last year. He completed 65% of his passes, threw for three on uh, 3,400 yards. Problem was the turnovers. Heineke, he didn't manage to throw 20 touchdowns, but he also threw 15 interceptions. Now, at running back for the, the Washington commanders here, how will this room shake out in 2022? Antonio Gibson has been productive in two seasons there in Washington, finishing with 1,042 scrimmage yards, 11 touchdowns as a rookie, following that up with 1,331 scrimmage yards and touched 10 touchdowns last season. We all know that Gibson dealt injuries much of last season. We also know that Coach Rivera, he wants to give himself that D'Angelo Williams, Jonathan Stewart-esque combination in the backfield. Enter Alabama running back Brian Robinson. Robinson, he bided his time there at Alabama, sitting behind the likes of Najee Harris, Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, Bo Scarborough, and others. And then when he did get his opportunity, he made the most of it last season. Not only did he rush for 1,343 yards and 14 touchdowns, he caught 35 passes for 296 yards and two more touchdowns. There has been plenty of great backs at Alabama, but only one has ever recorded 200 or more rushing yards in a bowl game, and that honor belongs to... Brian Robinson, who ran for over 206 yards against Cincinnati in that college semifinal game. While we are watching how this dynamic unfolds here between Gibson and Robinson, we have to ask ourselves, will McKissick have the same involvement as a pass catcher in 2022? We know that Robinson is capable of catching a pass. Gibson, when given an opportunity, he was a wide receiver converted to a running back, so he's got to be able to catch the ball. So how will that affect McKissick and his role on this team next year? We'll see. Biggest question surrounding this receiving core in Washington involves Curtis Samuel's health. Samuel has only played five games last season. They're limited to by a groin injury, making just one start, hauling in six passes for a modest 27 yards. If Samuel is ready to go, the next question becomes, 
which receiver sits on the other shoulders. I mean, seriously, all three projected receivers in Washington are six feet or less. And I think six feet may be generous when it comes to Terry McLaren's height. Anyway, I digress. We know McLaren will be the alpha dog. And more often than not, Wentz's primary read in this offense after seeing 130 targets last season, producing 1,052 yards and five touchdowns. The problem is Carson Wentz loves himself a big target, and none of these guys are big. Hence the comment about sitting on another guy's shoulders here. How will Carson Wentz's inaccuracies affect these smaller receivers? Man, I hope he can get it right in camp because we're about to find out pretty soon. Can a hopefully healthy Samuel provide the commanders with a second passing option or will it be Penn State receiver here? In Jahan Dotson, who seizes that opportunity. Many felt that Jahan Dotson had the best hands in this class. By the way, check out that catch against Ohio State if you need a, a little bit of further proof on that. And with Samuel missing as much time as he did last year, you can see that how this could turn into an open competition for that wide receiver two spot. The real wild card in all this, let's kick it back to last year's drafted wide receiver here and second year wide out here, Diami Brown, who finished with Two seasons North Carolina back-to-back 1,000-yard campaigns while averaging 20.1 yards per reception, proving he is a legitimate deep threat back in college and here in the pro. So we'll see how that factors in here as the fourth wide receiver. Tight end, after appearing in just six games last year, Logan Thomas looks like he is back and looking like he could return back to that 2020 form, which saw him haul in 72 passes for 670 yards and six touchdowns. Not so fast here. There's a good chance that Logan Thomas, while he is getting right, he's still not there yet. He's going to miss some time off the beginning of the season. A real, There's a real belief that he could end up on the pop before the season even begins. If Thomas were to miss a, a bunch of time there for the Commanders, they will need a second-year tight end in John Bates, who had 20 catches for 249 yards and a touchdown, or Cole Turner, the rookie out of Nevada, to step up. Washington feels like they have themselves one of the biggest steals in the draft in Cole Turner, let's be honest with you. Fifth round selection. I mentioned the diminutive size of the wide receivers. Turner is a monster, six foot six, 240 pounds. And it's not just a big boy body that he brings to the table. Technically, actually smaller than both Thomas and Bates, but he is twice the athlete. His ability to get past defenders and his ability to separate separates him from both Thomas and Bates in this tight end room for the commanders. While Thomas, if he remains healthy, will hold down that top spot. Hey, don't be surprised if Cole Turner passes Bates early on in camp and definitely gets himself some more looks here as the season progresses. On defense here, Washington's defense allowed, on average, 359.3 yards per game in 2021, thanks to allowing the fourth most passing yards in the league, surrendering 6,108 through the air, not to mention the most passing touchdowns. Simply put, the back-end talent didn't match the front-end talent. We know what's up front there. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, the secondary is a work in progress, so let's see how that works out. Let's see how the secondary can come around with another season under their belt. William Jackson the third, Kendall Fuller, they look to be handling the primary boundary responsibilities with Danny Johnson, Benjamin St. Juice likely to get reps there as well. Bobby McCain, Cameron Curl look to secure those positions there at safety, but does the depth look, what does this depth look like in this commander secondary after that? Can Derek Forrest, Corn Elder, or Percy Butler provide adequate depth? That's to be seen. I don't think so, but hey, stranger things have happened here when we talk about training camp. Maybe it's time for one of these guys to step up. If Washington can get this back end to kind of match that front end, this could be a very formidable defense. That all being said, make sure to give us a good like, a thumbs up there, smash it, whatever you got to do. And we will see you next time as we continue the series moving forward. See you. Take care.